Well, are you counting the days till Christmas? It's 15 days until Christmas morning. Uh, maybe you're counting them down, but if you're not, your children or your grandchildren or the kids around you, no doubt, are counting down the days to Christmas. I remember as a kid, I couldn't wait uh, to dive into the presents. We had figured out a way to untape like an end of the box. If you're really good, you could untape it and use the same piece of tape without mom or dad ever knowing what was happening. But kids have a hard time waiting. I think adults also, we can have a hard time waiting. Maybe not for Christmas, uh, but for other things in life. Uh, this week I was out on Jefferson Road and, and there's like 2,000 cars. Probably not, but it felt like 2,000 cars. And the other lane, you know, it felt like there might have been two cars every half an hour. But they got 10 minutes of green light and we got like 10 milliseconds of green light. And so maybe a half a car can get across before the light changes to red again. If you go to Walmart, we don't like to wait in lines. You go to the, the line that says 10 items or less and you might have 11 items Maybe you've got 51 items and you're hoping they don't notice. We don't like to wait. You know, as Christmas approaches, there are perhaps a number of you who are, who are waiting for things far more serious than traffic lights or for Walmart checkout lines. Maybe you're waiting for that diagnosis or you're waiting for that person to return into your life, that child to pick up the phone and, and call you. Or you're waiting for that man or that woman to come back into your life. Maybe you're waiting for healing. You're waiting for an addiction to be broken, for the pain to heal, for you finally to have enough money to take that vacation. Maybe you're waiting for an answer to life. Maybe you're a leader and you've got to make a big decision and, and you're waiting for God to give you wisdom or to write it in the clouds. Maybe you're a student and you're waiting for your driver's license. Maybe you're a, a college student and you can't wait to graduate or get on to grad school. Maybe you're a guy looking for the right girl. Or you're a girl looking for your Mr. Darcy in a room full of, in a world full of Wickhams. Maybe you're in your 20s and you're, you can't wait to start your career. Or you're in your 30s and you wish you had waited and chosen a different career. Maybe you're in your 40s and you wonder, is this all there is to life? And you're just waiting for something big to happen. Maybe you're in your 50s and you're waiting for your ship to come in, but you realize you're standing in the middle of the desert. Or maybe you're in your 60s and, and you're waiting for life to get easier. Your friends told you that when you retire, life would just be smooth sailing, but you're finding it to be the hardest season of your life. This world is a waiting room. We're all waiting for something. And as Christmas approaches, many of us love the season. We get excited about the season. But at times, different parts of the season can, can remind us of our waiting and can be difficult. When we go to Luke chapter 2, we often jump right to the Christmas story where uh, baby Jesus is born. We're going to look more at that in the next couple weeks but Luke chapter 2 has an obscure Christmas story that speaks directly to you if you're waiting. He, he gives us two characters, but we're just going to look at one character today of Simeon and how that Simeon learned to wait and how we can learn to wait as well. As I begin to tell the story, our minds go to the temple in Jerusalem 
Mary and Joseph were to bring their baby on the eighth day to be circumcised, and then again on the 40th day to be dedicated. There was a lot involved in baby dedication. Even the mother had a dedication of her own. But Jesus is about five and a half weeks old when Mary and Joseph bring him to the temple in Jerusalem. For you who've had children, think about five and a half weeks. Five and a half weeks is about the time they're starting to crack a smile. The babies are, are starting to be able to hold their head up. If you hold them like this, you know, they don't immediately flop over. Mary had probably already had baby Jesus on her baby-wise schedule. You know, she's starting to get a few hours of sleep every night, and the lady who lives next door is judging her for having a baby-wise schedule. You know, all the things that, that happen today. She's reading what to expect when you're expecting, but what's about to happen is beyond her expectations. They walk into the temple courtyard. The whole complex is about 35 acres, but this particular courtyard was about the size of a football field. And maybe at first they they didn't know where to go. Where is the dedication kiosk? And they just look around in amazement. Off to the side, there's an elderly gentleman maybe with gray beard hanging down. His name is Simeon. He was a righteous man, a devout man. He had a reputation for for loving the Lord and for loving others. And Simeon had been there for years. He didn't live at the temple like some of the others did, like Anna did, but he would come into the temple daily looking for the miracle baby. You see, the Old Testament had promised there was going to be a child born of the line of Abraham, the line of David, and this child was going to be a deliverer, a savior for his people. And every day, Simeon would go to the temple waiting for God to show him who the miracle baby would be. And on that day, Simeon looks up with hazed eyes and he sees a teenage girl and he sees a a young hillbilly boy, probably in his 20s or his 30s, Mary and Joseph, come walking through the temple gates into the courtyard and Simeon, with what voice he can muster, begins to, to yell across the courtyard, bring me the baby, bring me the baby. Now let's call time out for just a minute. People in Bible stories didn't know they were in Bible stories, right? People who were in in Bible times didn't wake up every day and say, oh, we live in Bible times. They were just going about their day. So the scriptures don't tell us all that went through Mary's mind. Maybe she just willingly was excited that some old dude that she didn't know wanted to hold her baby. But if Mary's like most of you, she wasn't probably initially excited. You know how new parents are with their first child. You know, somebody strange wants to hold the baby. You know, you want a, you want a complete history. You want a 10-page document explaining how many speeding tickets they've got. You want another credit history. They put on a spacesuit before they can touch your children. When was the last time you washed your hands? And, and you keep them in the car seat, strapped in, so nobody can grab them and hold them. It's all part of the parent strategy. People like to pinch for some reason and touch. I don't know why we do that. I'm trying to stop doing that. But you just do it because they're so cute. But somehow or another, Simeon got Jesus into his arms. And you can picture as a tear formed in the side of his eye and ran down the leather skin into his beard. And he said, now, now, Lord, you can release your servant because I have seen the promised child. Simeon knew it was Jesus 
The Spirit had told Simeon that Jesus had arrived, and Simeon knew that Jesus was the Savior. Think about what Simeon might have expected. Simeon knew he was going to be a royal baby. He was expecting a baby, but he was probably looking for something a little different than what arrived. He was probably looking for royal fanfare. So Simeon would have been looking for this baby to roll up into the temple in an Infinity QX60 with an onboard infotainment system, outstanding fuel economy, a new, more powerful standard V6 engine, optional hands-free lift gate. He would have been looking for Mary to pull him out of his juvie car seat and put him in his up a baby stroller and lay him on his eider-down silk pillow while Mary carried all, carried all of the baby gear in a set of Louis Vuitton and Petunia Picklebottom diaper bags. I took a lot of research this week because I have known none of that what that is. <laughs> he was looking for a king, and instead, this carpenter and this peasant boy walks, and this peasant girl walk in with the baby. Nothing spectacular, right? All babies are cute, but nothing spectacular. And Simeon holds him in his arms, and he, he says, quotes the most beautiful poem, maybe sings this as a song. I'd like us to read this song together. If you have your Bible or your Bible app, let me invite you to turn to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 25. And if you're physically able, I invite you to stand as we read. Let's see what happened when Simeon met Jesus. Luke 2, 25 through 32. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple when the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law. He, Simeon, took Jesus up into his arms and blessed God. And this is the second song of the four we're going to look at in December. He says, Maybe he sung, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for the revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. If you're taking notes, there's a couple cool things in this song that Simeon sings. One is he's probably quoting from Malachi chapter 4 and verse 1, or 4, 4 and verse 2. Malachi 4, 2, the prophet had said 400 years earlier, <coughs> the, son, the son of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. The son of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. The picture in Luke chapter 2 is one of a soldier maybe even a soldier slave who's been on duty, on watch duty all night, and he's told that when the sun rises, he can go off duty. And so the words that are used in the original give us this picture of a soldier standing guard, but inwardly he can't wait until the sun comes up over the horizon. And so here, finally, the soldier sees the sun coming, and he knows he's about to be relieved. And so he gets excited that the darkness is passing away and a new day is dawning. That's the language that Simeon used in Luke 2. He knew that the darkness was passing away and a new day was dawning. 
And as he thinks about Jesus, he, he, he's overwhelmed with worship. He's overwhelmed with, with gratitude. He had learned to worship in his waiting. My main encouragement to you deals with your worship and your waiting. And it's simply this. When it's really hard to wait, remember to worship the Lord. When it's really hard to wait, remember to worship the Lord. Worship is one of those church words. We sometimes think that that's what we do in church. We come to church to worship, and we certainly do. It's part of worshiping together as a church family. The word worship means to ascribe worth to someone who's worthy of that worth. And so we certainly do that with singing. We do that by gathering. We do that by reading the Bible and quoting Scripture. But also we worship by the way we eat. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, whether therefore you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. We can worship by going to work. We can worship by having fun with family and friends. So when we're talking about worship, we're talking about leaving here today, spending the rest of our lives. But let's just talk about Monday. If you're like me, let's just get through Monday. How on Monday can we worship the Lord because of who he is? For waiting for something, how can we worship while we wait? In the next few minutes, I'm going to give you three practical ways to do that. And Simeon did all three very, very well. Number one, how do we wait in our worship? How do we worship well while we wait? Number one, trust God's promises. Tomorrow, Monday morning, on the way to work, trust God's promises. <clears throat> like every other dedicated Jew of his day, Simeon waited for the consolation of Israel. Verse 29, verse 25. For consolation, he was looking for encouragement. Israel was discouraged and they needed a deliverer. They needed a comforter. We'll stop for a minute and ask, why was Israel so discouraged? Well, think about it. For 400 years, God hadn't spoken to them. They were used to, for hundreds and even thousands of years, God speaking directly to them through the prophets. And they would write those words down. They had the words of Moses. But it had been 400 years since God had spoken. Also, they were under Roman oppression. So the Romans had come in and essentially taken much of their property. They were taking their money, taking their taxes. And if you walked out on the streets, you could hardly walk down the road without running into a Roman soldier. So if you are a, a Jew remembering the promises of Abraham, the, the words of Moses echoing in your mind, you're thinking that you are supposed to be a great nation, but you're not even in control anymore. And you're waiting for somebody to come and put Rome in its place. They were discouraged. They were angry. They were mad. Astute students of Scripture knew approximately when Jesus would come. They had it narrowed down to about a hundred years or so. Looking back, we can see how clearly, well, of course, Jesus was born on this particular year. But Daniel and Isaiah had given prophecies that the Savior was coming. And people like the wise men could read the prophecies and know that it was the general time for the Messiah to come. But in verse 29, we see why Simeon was able to worship in peace. He says in verse 29, this all happened according to your word. This all happened according to your word. The promises of God had taught Simeon to worship. 
so that when the promise was fulfilled, he knew that all it was was according to God's word. I wanted to ask today, where do you find comfort whenever you're waiting? Where do you turn instantly when you're waiting for something, for satisfaction in life, or life's not going your way? Where is the first place you turn? Often the first place we turn is everywhere but the promises of God. Maybe when life's not going your way, you, you turn to food or some other pleasure. When life's not going your way or you're waiting for something and you're stressed because you're waiting, you turn to getting so slam drunk that you want to forget your problems and your pain. Maybe you turn to a bottle of pills. Maybe you turn to a relationship or pornography or, or somebody else that you know God doesn't want you to have, but because you're trying to escape, because all of us don't like to wait, we, we just go towards something so we can forget about our pain. My encouragement to you today is, one, you're on a journey like the rest of us. You're not any more broken than the person sitting beside you. But this week, would you try to turn to the promises of God when you feel like your waiting is too painful to endure? This week, we've provided an Advent devotional. It's back in the gathering space. I believe there's still like you know, a few hundred left. You can also get them on the app or on our website. But this little booklet's filled with promises of God, promises like, I will never leave you nor forsake you, promises like, I will be with you always, even to the end of the world. And this season, we want to saturate your heart with promises because as we learn to trust God's word, we learn to worship God well. As we learn to trust God's word, we learn to worship God well. How was Simeon able to worship so well? He trusted God's promises. But number two, he served God's people. Number two, Simeon served God's people. In verse 25 again, it says, There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. If you're taking notes, the word righteous is more horizontal. It refers to horizontal relationships. The word devout refers to a vertical relationship with God. So by saying that Simeon was righteous, it meant that people around considered him an upright person. He was a man of integrity. He never had to, had to wonder what he really thought or would he do this or would he live for God when nobody else was around. They knew he was a righteous man. Maybe, we don't know what Simeon did. Some believe he was a priest. The Bible never says he was a priest. Maybe he was a prophet. For that matter, he could have run a donkey repair garage at the edge of town. We don't know what he did. But people, when his name was brought up in the community, they said, Simeon is righteous. He's devout. He loves the Lord. It's important to note that Simeon wasn't sedate. He didn't stay and, and for hours upon hours only post outdated memes on Facebook and play shuffleboard in the community center. He wasn't content just living for himself. He hadn't spent a lifetime twiddling his thumbs and half-heartedly hoping the Messiah would show up. But instead, he served. He prayed. He fasted. He anticipated Jesus. Every morning he would get up and he would choke down his tapioca pudding and get back to the temple because he wanted to serve the people of God while he waited. 
Whenever I'm waiting for something, sometimes I can get discouraged and I can just stop everything thinking that I'm not going to do anything else until this or that happens. But the scriptures call us that to serve while we wait. Certainly there are times where we must be still and know that he is God, but the scriptures are also filled with examples during times of waiting that God says, eat, even in your waiting, serve, stay busy, because in staying busy serving others, we don't focus on ourselves. I remember when I was in college, I went to my pastor and I told him about how that back in West Virginia I had done some teaching and preaching. And I was in Bible college down in North Carolina, just outside of Charlotte. And so I thought I'd ask my pastor for some opportunities to serve in this way. And I never forget what he told me. He said, I, I know you're waiting. I know you want to be a pastor one day. But the greatest thing you can do right now is learn to serve. People have probably heard, he didn't say this, but I'm thinking what was going through his mind. People have probably heard enough of you for a while. It'd probably be great if you would just learn to serve behind the scenes in the church. And so several of us in college, we begin to jump in with the youth group, serve some of the, the teen boys and playing football and running basketball camps and begin to serve by vacuuming and cleaning behind the seats and scraping off gum of church van seats. And I learned a lesson that serving others is one of the best therapies to make it through a time of waiting. Maybe this morning you're wondering, Pastor Matt, how in the world can I get involved? How can I serve? I want to draw your attention to, again, BC in 5. At Bible Center in 5, after every Sunday service, one of our staff members is right over here on the left side of the auditorium, and about five minutes after the service ends. And she'll just take a few minutes and share with you ways you can jump in and get involved. Maybe you're looking to get to know people, looking to get through the holidays and focus on others. We would love to help you find a way to serve others. How do we worship well while we wait? Well, one, we can trust the promises of God. Two, we can serve God's people. But there's one more way I'd like you to see that we can learn from Simeon, and it's this. We can remember God's plan. Number three, we can remember God's plan. Read with me in verse, look with me in verse 30 and thir through 32. Simeon, how could you wait so long? How could you be, be faithful and serve and trust the promises of God? What was the big deal? Why was it worth it? Verse 30, he says, For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people Israel. If you're taking notes, verse 32 is the pinnacle of this song. Everything in Luke 2 points back to verse 32. And you can picture, if you will, Simeon in the temple, maybe singing, singing this or at least quoting this. The temple courtyard he was in held about 6,000 people. We don't know how many were there that day, but let's just say there's a few hundred. So you got Simeon saying that this baby he's holding in his arms is going to be the savior both of Israel and the Gentiles. We read that in 2007 and think, what's the big deal? Like, it's not a big deal at all, but it was a huge deal. The first part would have been okay. For him to say the baby is going to be the savior of Israel, people would have liked that. They were looking. Most people were looking for a deliverer. Oh, he's going to be the savior of Israel. This is great. But again, in their minds, they were thinking about being saved from Rome. 
But the second part would have ticked a lot of people off. When he said, this baby is going to be the savior of the Gentiles, what do you think the typical Jew of that day thought? They thought, why would the Gentiles need to be saved? The Gentiles have been persecuting us. The Romans have been persecuting us. We don't want the Gentiles to be saved. What was he doing? Besides quoting from Old Testament passages, he was reminding everybody within earshot. And Luke thought that his song was so important that he wrote it down for us to be blessed by. In 2017, he was reminding Israel that it was never about them. All the way back in Genesis chapter 12, Genesis chapter 18, Genesis chapter 25, when God told Abraham, I am going to bless the world through you. The end game wasn't for Israel to be great. The end game was that through Abraham, through David, through this baby who would grow up and pay for the sins of his people, through this line, all the world could know salvation. Now, should we love Israel? Absolutely. Genesis chapter 12 is very, very clear. This week, have I been interested in knowing what's happening in Israel? Absolutely. As I scroll through my phone to see what the latest tweet is or the latest fight and argument, I'm excited for us to be able to honor Israel. But let us not forget that the end goal is not Israel. The end goal is the glory of God to permeate all nations. He says in Revelation chapter 6, Revelation chapter 5, verses 9 through 12, that on that day people of every kindred, tongue, tribe, and nation are going to worship the Lord. People of every ethnicity, people of every language, people of every culture, if you don't like people who are different than you, you are not going to like heaven. Because heaven doesn't all look like us. And so our burden, the way that we wait well, is not to think, not to think that God's ultimate goal is to make me happy. We preach about joy. We preach about happiness. But there is a movement in our, in our country today that almost makes it seem that the goal of the church is to make you wealthy, healthy, and wise. Or however you say that. That's not the goal of the church. If God blesses you with that, that's great. The goal of the church is the glory of God to the nations. That's why we're here to say that church is just about us and about what I want and about what I think and about what I need would be preposterous to Simeon. Simeon said the people of God exist to proclaim the gospel where it doesn't exist. And so this Christmas, I love you as your pastor, but this Christmas, if you're having a very hard season, I don't understand your pain, and I'm not going to pretend to understand your pain. But let me invite you to take some time and think for a minute, God, how could you use my suffering how could you use my story to get the gospel to my neighbor? 
how could you use my story to reach people in Charleston who don't yet know Christ? And so it becomes very practical very quickly. We think, okay, Lord, you haven't given me what I wanted yet. I'm waiting and waiting and waiting, and life really stinks right now. But Lord, I see it's not about me. It's about your glory to the world and that the gospel may be known by those who don't yet know him. Simeon looked at Mary and reminded Mary, Mary, a, soul is going to pier- a sword's going to pierce your soul. He was simply reminded her before she left the temple that the way all of this would take place was because Jesus was going to suffer. We don't know that Simeon knew that he would die on a cross. We don't know exactly how Simeon knew he would rise from the grave on on the third day. We don't know that Simeon knew all those details. But Mary, in John 19, remembered, no doubt, Simeon's words when he said, Mary, this is going to be hard for you because in order for this salvation to take place, it is going to crush your soul. But Jesus died on the cross and was buried, and praise God, he rose again. And this Christmas, our invitation to you isn't to a church, isn't to an organization. Our invitation is to Jesus Christ. If you've not yet believed, would you believe on Christ? Would you ask him to be the master of your life, to follow Jesus, and let us be a church that helps you on that journey? This is why Christmas happened This is why Jesus came. Christmas isn't just about unbridled happiness and cute little babies and Thomas Kincaid stables that smell like cranberry peppermint Yankee candles. The story of Christmas is the story of God bringing hope into a very dark and messed up world. It's the story of God bringing hope into very dark and messed up hearts. That's all of us. Jesus didn't come in the form that many people expected His salvation wasn't going to look neat and clean as a lot of people thought. He was going to die on a cross, rise from the grave, and offer salvation to the whole world. And those who accept him will rise, and those who don't accept him will fall. This week I heard the story of Dr. James Dobson talking about a woman by the name of Stella Thornhope. Thornholm. Stella Thornholm. Stella had lost her husband, Dave, a few months before Christmas, and Stella was really having a hard time. Maybe like some of you are having a hard time with Christmas. And Stella wondered, should she even get her Christmas decorations out? She couldn't stand the sound of Christmas carols. Stella used to enjoy a a full and inviting life. She loved to cook, but now she found herself eating mostly TV dinners since Dave had died. Stella, in the cold of winter, Felt that winter was especially cold this year, especially bitter, as she just found herself wanting to talk to Dave, but he wasn't there. Dr. Dobson said everything made Stella cry. We've been there. Maybe not to the extent that Stella has, but maybe you've been in a discouraged, dark place. Somebody you love has passed away. One day, Stella got a knock at her door, and she wondered who could possibly be at the door in this weather. And so she cracked the door and looked, and it was a familiar face. The delivery man had brought a box, but he said he had to set the box inside. And so she trusted him. She opened the door. He set the box inside. But as he set the box down, he noticed it made a a different noise than normal. 
And so she signed for the box, and he said, ma'am, everything is in the envelope. It explains it all. And before the delivery man could get back to his truck, she opened the box, and inside the box was this, a yellow lab puppy dog. She's wondering, who could have possibly sent me a dog? She was angry at first. Why would so? I can't take care of a dog. I don't know how to take care of a dog. But she remembered the words of the delivery man, so she opened up the envelope, and instantly it hit her like a ton of bricks. Before she had read one word, she noticed the handwriting in the letter was her husband Dave's. And he had written the letter, obviously, shortly before he died. The letter was filled with love and adoration for Stella. But then Dave got firm like Dave could at times. And he said, Stella, I'm waiting for you. I know you are waiting for me. And it's not going to be easy for both of us. But Stella, I want you to move on with life. Get the Christmas decorations out of the closet. Serve the community and enjoy Christmas like we always did together. I'll see you soon. Love, Dave. Stella held the little yellow ball of fur. She said for hours. She thought it was hours, probably minutes. But before the evening had passed, she got the Christmas decorations out of the closet. She turned the Christmas music back on the radio. And she was already thinking of ways to serve her community like she had done so many years with Dave. Waiting is hard. And some of you are waiting at levels this morning that I can't comprehend. But I promise you, Jesus can comprehend because he knows what it means to wait. And today, let me invite you to trust the promises of God. Serve God's people. And remember that the story isn't about you. But God has a bigger plan that one day is going to make sense to all of us. When you find yourself waiting, remember to worship the Lord. Let's bow in prayer together. Father, thank you so much for a Savior who knows what it's like to wait. And collectively with my brothers and sisters now, we bring you pain, we bring you waiting, we bring you our impatience. And I ask that you would help us this Christmas to call us back and give us the strength to worship. Help us to sing like we've never sung before, to serve like we've never served before. Help us to be a people, a church. Charleston can't live without because we're waiting on the day when all will be made right. With heads bowed and eyes closed, if that's you this morning, as we were talking, you say, Pastor Matt, I'm not sure I'm a Christian. I don't know that I'm a follower of Jesus. Let me invite you to put your faith in him right now where you sit. There's no magic prayer, no magic words, but Jesus tells the story of one guy that went up into the temple who needed salvation. He just simply prayed, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. That's all he prayed. Lord, have mercy on me. And Jesus said, God saw his heart and he left the temple justified. He left the temple saved. Would that be you today? Would you leave church knowing you're on your way to heaven? I'll pray a prayer. Let me invite you to pray this with me in your heart if you want to be a follower 
of Jesus Christ. Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know I can't save myself. But I believe you love me. I believe Jesus died for me. I believe he rose again the third day. Come into my life. Make me a Christian. Help me to follow Jesus every day. With heads bowed and eyes closed, if you prayed that prayer, you meant that, would you let us know this week? I'll be here. I'll be out in the gathering space by the doors. You just let me know on your way out or send me a note this week. Hey, Pastor Matt, I, I become a follower of Christ. I prayed that prayer with you. And let us, in the weeks and months and years to come, help you on your journey at this Christian life. Father, thank you for what you're doing in our church. Help us to be ready to love and serve this city because you have loved and served us so well. In Jesus' name, amen.